Well, good evening. Are you enjoying this wonder winter wonderland? <laughs> it's beautiful out there, but um, I'm just so thankful for the opportunity to stand before you and share a message that the Lord has put on my heart. Um, I have to say this is probably one of the hardest messages I had to put together. Uh, it was very difficult, but God is really working, and I'm so thankful. What I'm really thankful for is that we have the opportunity, the media, to do this here, to broadcast this around the world. This is amazing. Um, and how many people are tuning in per night around the world? Different countries just talking backstage about that. Uh, Bolivia, and we're talking about um, different Thailand and South Korea. Just, It's incredible how this gospel is going around the world right now. But tonight... We're talking about this idea of life-changing encounter. Tonight we're going to discover one of the Bible's biggest cover-ups. Ah, yes, the biggest cover-ups. But before we do, I would like to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us through God's Word. If you wouldn't mind bowing your heads, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you know, uh, this message, um, this message is so needed. It's not about me, it's about you, Lord. And there's people that are really broken that need to know just how important they are to you as your children. I just pray tonight, Lord, that you'll send your Holy Spirit to those who might be viewing, those here, whoever needs to hear these words, that they will understand just how valuable they are in your sight. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned before, we're going to unmask one of the biggest cover-ups we find in the narrative of our human history. What this story isn't about, the story is not about Adam and Eve covering themselves with fig leaves. You remember that? How embarrassing that must have been, putting little fig leaves on. And why, I wonder why they would cover themselves with fig leaves. I think maybe they had a fear of guilt of what they had done wrong. They disobeyed God's word. Story also isn't about Cain who tried to cover up killing his brother. Remember that? Um, You know, am I my brother's keeper? Of course, fear of his shame, and he was also fearing that he might be hunted down by other people who would like to take his life. But of course, God put a a seal or protection over him. And it's also not about Abram and Sarai to cover up God's promises with Abram laying with Hagar. Of course, you know that they birthed Ishmael. um, So they feared God would not follow through with his promises. Do you see a pattern developing in this? Did you hear a certain word I shared? It's a four-letter word. Humans are often subject to different fears because they disobey God. There has been through the ages a fear of letting go, fear of the unknown, fear of what people think, fear of getting caught, fear of rejection, etc. The list could go on. But I wanted to share a story tonight, and this is the big cover-up story, and it's going to deal with a certain family. We're going to find an interesting uh, background on Isaac and Rebecca. So if you have your Bibles tonight, And those watching, open your Bibles to Genesis 25. We're going to get kind of a background of this family. Genesis 25, verses 21 through 28. 25, 21 through 28. So this is interesting because we're going to find out what happens when we allow fear to be in the center of our marriage and our family. What happens? What do you think is going to happen? Genesis 25, 21 says this. And in there, and Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him, so he listened to his prayer. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived. Praise the Lord, right? They've been waiting for children. They've been wanting children. Verse 22. And the children struggled together within her and said, and she said, if it be so, 
Why am I, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. Listen to this next line. And the Lord said unto her, verse 23, two nations are in thy womb and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. And the one people shall be stronger than the other people. And this is a key point. And the elder shall serve the younger. I want you to kind of tuck that little line in your brain. The elder shall serve the younger. Verse 24. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. Oh boy, has anybody experienced giving birth to twins? I, I don't know. If, it doesn't sound like a too pleasant of an experience, especially some of those have more than twins. And the first came out, this is crazy, listen to the characteristic of uh, Esau here. And the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. I can't even picture what that looks like, a hairy garment. I'm just trying to visualize these people, you know, in my brain. What do they look like? And they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out and his hand did what? Took hold on Esau's heel. Uh Uh-oh. And his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was three score years old when she bare him. That means he was 60 years old. That's that's kind of an old man to have kids at that age, 60 years old. That'd be kind of tough. And the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, And Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. I wanted to read this to you from um, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 177, paragraph 2. And it says this, Esau grew up loving self-gratification and centering all his interest in the present. Impatient of restraint, he delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter. Yet he was the father's favorite. Did you catch that? He was the father's favorite. The quiet, peace-loving shepherd was attracted by the daring and vigor of his elder son, who fearlessly ranged over mountain and desert, returning home with game for his father and with exciting counts of his adventurous life. Jacob, thoughtful, diligent, and caretaking, ever thinking more of the future than the present, was content to dwell at home, occupied in the care of the flocks and the tillage of the soil. His patient perseverance, thrift, and foresight were valued by the mother. His affections were deep and strong and his gentle, unremitting attentions added far more to her happiness than did the boisterous and occasional kindnesses of Esau. To Rebekah, Jacob was the dearer son. Hmm. Did you hear something going on in that line? Look at verse 28. What does it say? And Isaac did what? Loved Esau. Hmm. Because he did eat of his venison. But Rebecca, what did she do? Oh my, so we see some kind of favoritism going on, right? I'm going to ask you the question. Is it a good thing to show favoritism for one child over another? Hmm, could there be any consequences that happen as a result of this form of neglect? Hmm, it appears from the beginning that this family was set up to become, you've heard this word before, right? Dysfunctional? Dysfunctional family. This is amazing because this is God's chosen people, his family. But what harm could favoritism cause anyway? So we're going to kind of go through this story. We're going to unfold this breakdown, this crumbling of this family that was chosen by God. So we're going to look in Genesis 27. In Genesis 27, we're going to go through a lot of this. and I'll try not to take too much time, but it's really important we kind of get a backdrop of what's going on in here. Um, So we're going to start in verse 1, but... I kind of like to entitle these first four verses, The Fear of Letting Go, and I'll, and I'll explain why after I read these verses. The Fear of Letting Go. And how many of you have had that 
a fear of letting go of something, something that you're really holding on to, that you just cherish. It says this in verse 1, And it came to pass that when Isaac was old and his eyes were dim, so that he could not see, he called Esau, his eldest son, and said unto him, My son. And he said unto him, this is, of course, Esau, Behold, here am I. And he said, Behold, now I am old. I know not the day of my death. Now therefore take, I pray thee, thy weapons, thy quiver, and thy bow, and go out to the field and take some venison, and make me savory meat such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that, I may, that my soul may bless thee before thy die. Hmm. Bless thee before thy die. Isaac, is, to me, seems like he's afraid. He's obviously afraid he's going to die. But I think there's more than that under the, under the cover here. He's afraid of letting go of something that's traditionally um, given to them, that the firstborn was to receive the birthright, right? So he's afraid that, oh man, I better give this birthright to my firstborn now. And what's interesting is we saw again in Genesis 25 in verse 3, what it say, or 23, what it say that the elder will serve the younger. So there was a promise there. The elder is supposed to serve the younger. So we're looking now in verses 5 through 10, and this is kind of Rebecca's little um, caveat or what do you want to call it. And I would like to term this the fear of the unknown. Have everybody experienced feeling uh, under pressure because you don't know what's coming next? And let's see what um, Rebecca went through here. Genesis 27 verse 5 says, And Rebekah heard what when Isaac spake to Esau, his son, and Esau went to the field to hunt for venison and to bring it. So obviously Isaac doesn't know she's listening. And verse 6 says this, And Rebekah spake unto Jacob, her son, saying, Behold, I heard thy father speak unto Esau, thy brother, saying, Bring me venison and make me savory meat that I may eat and bless thee before the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to that which I command thee. Go now to the flock and fetch me from thence two kids of the goats, and I will make them savory meat for thy father such as he loveth. And thou shalt bring it to thy father that he may eat and that he may bless you before your de his death. Hmm. So we see that Rebekah overheard Isaac. What happened? What do you think actually happened? I believe that her emotions got the better of her. I believe she went into panic mode and she said, I've got I've to fix this. I've got to do something here. I've got to step in here. So she didn't know what was going to happen to Isaac. And so she says, we're going to do this plan. We're going to make this happen so that your father will bless you. We're setting up a, a plan of deception. And now I, here comes Jacob's turn. We're going to see this in, starting in verse 11. But I like to li label this the fear of getting caught. How many have ever done something you got, you're afraid of getting caught? <laughs> Um, or how about this? Are you afraid of what people think? I know I kind of struggled with that one for a long time. What do people think about me? So we're going to pick it up in verse 11, see what Jacob says. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. My father, peradventure, will feel me, and I shall seem to him as a deceiver. Wow. Interesting word there, right? Deceiver. And I shall bring a curse upon me and not a blessing. So he's talking about um, this fear that his father is going to recognize who he is. It says here, I wrote this down. Jacob's response is out of fear that his dad will know who he is and deception will be unmasked. He also fears that Isaac, his dad, will th what he will think of him. 
So then we're going to pick it up in verse 13. And this is what Esau, or Isaac's mother, or yeah, Rebekah says to um, Jacob. And his mother said unto him, Upon me be thy curse, my son. Only obey my voice and go fetch me them, those two goats. So she's setting out to re- deceive her husband Isaac. That's a wonderful marriage, don't you think? Deceiving your husband? Hmm. So now we're going to pick up in Genesis 27, 14 through 17 and see this plan in action. And he went and fetched and brought them to his mother, these two goats. And his mother made savory meat such as his father loved. And Rebekah took goodly raiment of her eldest son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them upon Jacob, her youngest, younger son. And she put the skins of the kids on the go- of the goats on, upon his hands and upon the smooth of his neck. And she gave the savory meat and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. It's almost like they're kind of passing on the baton. It's now your part to act out this deception. So here she is giving this into Jacob's hands to go and deceive his father. This is a very interesting story um, when we see this unfold. And I can only imagine uh, as, as Jacob's going on there, he's probably thinking, how am I going to pull this off? I don't know how this is going to happen. Lord, you're going to have to be with me. Um, be with me in this lie. Help me out in this lie, Lord. That doesn't sound right, does it? It says, and he came unto his father and said, my father. And he said, here, I, here am I. Who art thou, my son? Did you catch that? Jacob said, here I am. And here comes Isaac with, who are you? Something doesn't seem right. Already off the bat, you can see that Isaac, I think, is a little suspicious. Um, so I'm sure that Isaac's response from Jacob had kind of made his mind think, what next lie is he going to have to tell so his father doesn't know this is a deception? It's trying to play off here. So in 19 through 27, we're going to kind of skim through all this. 19 says, And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. I arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that thy soul may bless me. So here we are, you know, he knew, well, Isaac did not know that Rebekah had heard um, what he had said to Esau. So now we hear him playing this out, um, Jacob. Verse 20, And Isaac said unto his son, How is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? Oh, how did you find that out? How did you find these, uh, this meat? And he said, Well, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Hmm, uh-oh, this plot's getting thicker, isn't it? This is getting ugly, uh-oh. And Isaac said unto Jacob, Hmm, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son, Esau, or not. Hmm, so he's hearing this voice just doesn't match up, but he's got the meat there, and he's thinking, something's just not adding up. Let me touch you, I want to feel you. So in verse 22, And Jacob went near unto Isaac his father, and he felt him and said, Hmm, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. That's interesting. He couldn't figure it out. He's kind of puzzled. Verse 23, And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy as his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said again, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. I mean, you've got to think that Jacob's probably quivering, like, come on already, just give me the blessing. I don't, I don't want to keep carrying this out. Oh, Because, I mean, we talked about how he was a very pious young man. Well, that make you, I just make you nervous. So here he is, yes, I am, in verse 25, and he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come now, 
near now and kiss me, my son. So he wants to get real close and personal. And he came near and kissed him and he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, see, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field, which the Lord hath blessed. Wow. Kind of confusing, isn't it? And I want to read this to you out of the SDA commentary. I thought this was rather interesting. And this is how much appetite can play a role in our senses. It says this, Isaac's sense of touch must have been seriously affected by his infirmity or by his age. On the other hand, his sense of hearing was more acute and made him suspicious of Jacob's voice. But listen to this. But the scent of the field and force upon Esau's, Esau's garments seemed to confirm the touch of his son's hairy hands. Finally, here's the caption. Here's the uh, cap of it all. The fragrant aroma of savory meat whetted his appetite and he dismissed, dismissed his fears. Dismissed his fears. Wow, that's what appetite will do. It override his strongest capability. I was hearing, overrode it. He could not see, but touch, taste, and smell prevailed over hearing. The original mistake that had led to this deception was Isaac's own. He knew better. Furthermore, he had deliberately gone forward with his plan to invest Esau with the birthright in the face of a divine command to the contrary, and God therefore permitted Isaac to be deceived. Wow. So now we're just going to finish this up um, with uh, Isaac blessing Jacob in verses 28 through 29. It says in verse 28, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven, of the fatness of the earth, and plenty of corn and wine. Let people serve thee, and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be everyone that curseth thee. Remember, this was a lie now. And blessed be he that blesseth thee. This is all on a lie. That's powerful. He said, curse those who curse you and bless those who bless you. And all this was on deception. So now I'm going to show the other side of the coin. And this is Esau's reaction. I like to entitle this one, fear of rejection. Fear of rejection. And we're going to look at the rest of these verses, 30 through 40, and how this all plays out when Esau comes in. So 30 says, And it came to pass, as soon as Isaac had made an end of blessing Jacob, and Jacob was yet scarce gone out from the presence of of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. Verse 31, And he also had made savory meat. I'm sure dad was kind of full at this point. Also made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, Let my father rise and eat of his son's venison, that thy soul may bless me. Verse 32, Isaac, his father, said unto him, who art thou? And he said, I, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly. He said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten all of all before thou camest, and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. So we see this supplanter, what um, Jacob did. So we see here that Esau realizes his birthright was stolen. And here he is. We're going to see him beg later. And in verse 34, And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry, and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. And he said, Thy brother came with subtlety, and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, Is, it not, he rightly, is not he rightly named Jacob? For he hath supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and behold, now he hath taken away my blessing. And he said, hast thou not reserved a blessing for me? This uh, poor Esau, who really didn't want the blessing to begin with, he didn't want the birthright. Remember, he uh, sold it for porridge. 
Um, he didn't really want it. So we see he's begging. He also used the word supplanter. I don't know if you caught that. In uh, verse 36, he supplanted that deception. Jacob was the supplanter. I thought that was interesting. So here he is begging for a blessing. And verse 37 says, And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, Behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his, bro- his brethren have I given to him for servants, and with corn and wine I have sustained him. And what shall I do unto thee, my son? And Esau said unto his father, Hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, O my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. And Isaac his father answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. And by the sword shalt thou live and shalt serve thy brother. And it shall come to pass when thou shalt have the dominion, thou shalt break his yoke from off thy neck. Wow. Um, Esau, what a horrible way to go. You almost kind of feel for him, but you know that he didn't really want it. He was the wild one that just wanted to kind of live life by the seat of his pants. And uh, so we saw that Jacob was the more fitting role for this. But I just want to share this now, um, kind of where this uh, article I was reading from, uh, this particular section I was in, and it talked a lot about social media. I'm sure we're all familiar with social media, right? Twitter, uh, Snapchat, um, TikTok, or Facebook. Um, there's a lot of different media use out there. I'm so thankful that we use Zoom, we use Google Meets. Those things are like booming right now. I want to share this. Satan only has as much power as we give him. We just witnessed a biblical family caught in the web of fear and deception because they disobeyed God. Jacob became the supplanter by stepping into the role of acting out Rebekah's plans. He stole Esau's identity. I really want you to catch that. He stole Esau's identity. He literally covered up his true identity in Esau's clothes and wearing goat skins. Jacob ran ahead of God to receive the blessing he was already promised. That's powerful. He literally became, in a sense, Esau to Isaac. Took his identity. I think um, that's just a sad state when somebody stoops to that level because they want to get the blessing and they don't wait for God to give it to them. They run ahead. We too can play the role of covering up because of fear. The article of life-changing encounter written by Klaus Popa, if I'm saying that right, Klaus Popa, shows us a glimpse of how we cover up our identity on social media and other forms of media to become someone we are not. It is all based on fear. Here's an excerpt from that article. A few years ago, I talked with a church leader about the use of media and evangelism. He had spent about 20 years in media ministry. In the midst of our conversation, he said, as Seventh-day Adventists, we were always pioneers using the newest media types for public evangelism in order to share the three angels' messages with an even wider audience. Can we agree with that? By using different types of media, we reached and continue to reach millions and millions of people with the good news of a loving God all around the globe. What a huge blessing. Then he paused for a moment. This is where it's going to step on toes. You know, sometimes I wonder if we tend to broadcast a beautiful and perfect world of faith which does not correspond to who we are in everyday life. He paused again. Do we mainly focus on showing what we should believe and how we should exercise our faith? And by doing so, we distract ourselves from our shortcomings, our neediness, and our brokenness? We have had a hard time admitting to ourselves and to others that we are neither as good as we would like, nor as the ideal faith that our broadcast requires us to be. Wow, that's, that's really powerful. Let that sink in. In other words, we want to cover up our true identity. 
We are afraid of being vulnerable and being real about our struggles as Christians. We really do hide behind a Christian mask, avoiding who we really are because of the fear of what others would know about us. Clause brings this fact out in the following paragraph. At the same time, our concern or even fear that people might shy away from God when they also see our brokenness can lead us to hide the less pleasant sides of ourselves and eventually make ourselves appear better than we really are. He goes on to say, sharing faith becomes more about appearance than about being and character, more about the perception than about honest sharing and real encounters. Evangelism through media makes it even easier for us to turn faith into a perfect wishful projection that it would be possible and would be impo- yeah, possible in personal encounters because the medium, TV, radio, social media, etc., stands between people. There's a distance. We can retain a distance between the well-lit, good-looking spiritual experience and the real faith experience seen in broad daylight. So we kind of see this shift, um, especially in the world today with this idea of social media. People can become what they really want to be on, on social media, and it's, it's not really who they are. They, they promote these, these fake personalities to get likes or to get, you know, people to view or, you know, to get all these, um, I guess, many people to follow them. But here comes um, one of the greatest parts of this, um, the greatest covering that can deliver us from this fear. So I'm going to ask this question. What is it that we fear? Why do we hide behind a false identity? As we talked about Isaac and Rebecca's dysfunctional lifestyle, there were five fears I saw that we are all struggle with in our world today. I'll just kind of go through these. Fear of letting go. We kind of talked about that briefly, right? Fear of letting go. Um, I kind of consider this like a security blanket, things that are just you really hold on to in life. And I remember reading a story years ago uh, about a man. He loved his Corvette so much that when he died, he got buried in it. He got buried in his Corvette. <laughs> I guess you would say he couldn't let that go. Fear of the unknown. Um, I'll try to make this brief. Fear of the unknown. A couple Thursday nights ago, I was on the prayer line for our um, 3 ABM, and I had a gentleman call, and he spoke to me. He said, I'm going to kill myself tonight. I'm going to hang myself in the garage. I said, oh, okay. And I made the mistake. I said, I don't have a whole lot of time right now to talk because I got a lot of other calls trying to come. He said, you're telling me that you don't have time to make time for me, and I'm going to end up killing myself you don't care about me? I said, no, I'll take time. I'll listen to you. I just, I, I got to be careful of my time. And he said, so he's began to unfold everything he'd been through. He lost his job because of COVID. He couldn't keep his house. He's losing because of his mortgage. All this stuff was going on. All of his family members are dead. He didn't know. He's like, I don't know what to do. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. I just don't know what to do. So I began praying with him through God's word. The power of God's word is incredible. And it broke through him. And as I got done praying with him, his voice just changed. He had peace. He had so much peace. So then I got another call. Then again, this man calls after that. This was 22 minutes, the first call. The second call was another 22 minutes. And he said, Donald, I was on my knees praying I would get you. I got you. You, God blessed me. Oh, I got you. And so he started telling me more about what he went through about how he's got, got this problems. All these things are just collapsing on him. He's got lawyers that are abusing him, all these different things. And so I began again. I took him into God's word. I prayed with him. And once you know, after I got done praying with him, he says, Donald, you have restored my hope. I have peace. I know that God is on my side. And he said that. 
it was just amazing. So he said, please, I want you to call me back on Friday. I tried. I couldn't get through. So I called him on Monday, and this is what he told me. He said, Donald, you don't realize this, but while I was on the phone with you, I had a big, thick knife to my neck. I was getting ready to slit my throat. I was going to end my life. But then I somehow got your number. He said, I don't even know how I got your number. I just did, and I called it, and you just saved my life. I said, I did not save your life. I said, God saved your life. (laughs) God saved your life. So fear of the unknown, we really, this is power, fear of the unknown. Fear of being caught. Who are you when no one is watching? That's interesting. Fear of being caught. Who are you when no one is watching? The next one is fear of what people think. And this is what I struggle with a lot. I know I'm sure I'm not the only one, but measuring ourselves against others. Do we do that a lot? And also another thing is being a doormat. Sometimes we can just let people walk all over us. And another fear is the fear of rejection. And I've been talking to a lot of individuals this evening, and this is a big one, craving love and acceptance, and they're not getting it. Fear of rejection. But now I would like to share with you a promise in God's word. God's word in 1 John 4.18 says this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. That perfect love. Don't you want that perfect love? That perfect love. What does it look like to get that perfect love? How do we attain that? We're going to find out here a little bit later. We allow Satan to rob us or torment us because we are afraid to be vulnerable with others that we can trust. Key word is that we can trust. So how do we overcome fear? The title of this message is Life Changing Encounter. How did Jacob overcome his fear? His name, Jacob, was a reminder of how he deceived his dad and his brother. What a badge he had worn of his brokenness. He was always on the run, afraid Esau would find him and eventually kill him. But a miraculous and great cover-up, or shall we say, transformation and transfer happened. So turn in your Bibles now to Genesis 32. We're going to kind of see an amazing picture unfold. We're going to look at verses 24 through 30 and see this life-changing encounter transpire. How many of you would like that life-changing encounter? Daily do we need that life-changing encounter. And we're going to pick it up in verse 24 of chapter 32. 24. Verse 24 says, And Jacob was left alone. Of course, he sent off his wives, two wives, different directions. But Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint. I bet you that didn't feel too good. As he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And he said unto him, what is thy name? Listen to this. This is powerful. Mm. And he said, Jacob. And he said, thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Wow. Did you catch that? Isn't that powerful? So verse 27, he's reminded again of the burden of deception he carried as he said his name Jacob. But in verse 28, this angel gets him to say, you're no longer Jacob, but now you are Israel. So there's a transformation and a transfer of his name from Jacob, the supplanter, to Israel. Power with God and man. Powerful. God can deliver even the darkest 
of those who might be in a dark corner right now watching this. Um, I heard a lot of prayers today. I had a lot of prayer callers today that were really in a dark spot. They didn't even think they could come to Jesus. That's how dark the enemy will get us if he can. I want to read this quote out of Patriarchs and Prophets. This is on page 198. As an evidence that Jacob had been forgiven, his name was changed from one that was a reminder of his sin to one that commemorated his victory. Praise the Lord, victory. Amen, indeed, amen. So we'll look now in verse 29 through 30. It says, And Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob, in verse 30, called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. How many want to see God face to face? <laughs> and know that your life is preserved. Man, that's powerful. Since Jacob was chosen by God as his earthly spiritual representative, Israel was rightfully supposed to be the leader of this world. But we must remember that we have an adversary, the devil. He's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So speaking of the devil, I kind of want to break this down to kind of give you a glimpse of um, the backdrop of where fear comes from. So if you wouldn't mind turning your Bibles to Revelations 12 and verse 10. Revelation 12 and verse 10. We're just going to get a little, little study here. Find out who this original deceiver or supplanter was. And verse 10, and then I'll back up to verse 9. He said, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and kingdom, the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for thee. Who's that? Accuser of our brethren is cast down, who, which accused them before our God day and night. Who's that accuser? Verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So, of course, we see that, you know, here we see that Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Now we're going to turn to John 8, John chapter 8 and verse 44, and let's see some more characteristics of this deceiver. John chapter 8, verse 44. And it says there, that ye are, your ye are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and a father of it. So we find out that this deceiver is a liar. He's a father of lies. And now we're going to turn to Zechariah chapter 3. Verses 1 and 2. And Zechariah is kind of tucked away in the uh, Minor Prophets. It's just right after. Let's see if I can find this here. It looks like Zephaniah, Haggai, and Zechariah. And so we're going to look at Zechariah 3, verses 1 and 2. And I really like this, um, this whole chapter here in chapter 3. It's just, it's done so much for me. It's really helped me to understand my relationship with God, but also showing other people their relationship with God. I'll just read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to pick up on this story a little later. Verses 1 and 2 says, And he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. That word resist was to contend or to kind of say, you know, that this 
Joshua is nothing but a piece of trash. He's junk and maybe he shouldn't be allowed into the kingdom and his people with him. And verse 2 says, and this is the beauty. And the Lord said unto Satan, the Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that had chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked by the fire, plucked out of the fire? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus sees something in us that he wants to pull out of that fire. He wants to deliver us from this deceiver. And so we're going to look at Matthew 4, verse 3 and 6. We're going to see another um, characteristic of this deceiver. This is kind of um, alluding to something here. I'll get to it in a minute. Verse 3 in Matthew 4 says, And when the tempter came to him, he said, what's the words? If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be be made bread. You know, that's very interesting because just prior to this, that John the Baptist took Jesus into the Jordan, right? He baptized him, dunked him, he came back up. And what did God do? God said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? And then, of course, the Holy Spirit came down like a dove. But here we see Satan trying to say, you know what? God didn't really say that. That's not who you are. He's trying to get Jesus to question his identity. How many of us today question our identity? So what is Satan's game? What is his goal? Satan wants to destroy our true identity. What is our true identity? We're going to kind of find that out here in a little bit. So now I want to show the other side of the coin I call the identifier. So turn to Isaiah 53, and I think, uh, Pastor Dinsey, you talked about some of these scriptures yesterday. Um, Isaiah 53, and we're going to see this identifier. First we have the deceiver, now we have an identifier. Verses uh, 5 and 6 in Isaiah 53. And it says there, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So Jesus took our sin. And we're going to see that further developed here in verses 10 through 12. And it says there, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he had poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. So we see, you know, Jacob, Jesus stood in the way and gave him a new title, Isaiah, and uh, gave him a, a new name. How many of you would like a new name? A new name. Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. Another thing that this identifier did. Philippians 2, verses 6 through 8. Jesus is all the world to me. Oh my, Philippians 6, or 2, verse 6 through 8. Let's see if we can find this here. I always remember, go eat popcorn, came to my mind. Um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. Somebody taught me that years ago. Go eat popcorn, that always sticks in my head. But uh, Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. Says there, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself 
the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Did you see that? He, he made himself a, a servant and became obedient. This is the creator of the universe, became obedient to a cross, a cruel cross at that. And also another identifying mark we find in Hebrews 4 and verse 15. This is a powerful phrase. And this one always gets me. I can't wrap my mind around this. But uh, Hebrews 4 verse 15 It says here, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without, what was he without? Without sin. Wow. How do you take on somebody's sin but not have sin? That's incredible. 2 Corinthians 5.21, this is the last point. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Somebody wrote this on the... uh, chat yesterday. I saw this, this came up. And this is one of the biggest, most powerful, I believe, like he said, one of the biggest powerful scriptures I've read. And it says in there, verse 21, for he hath made Jesus, made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That is powerful. That Jesus was made to be sin for us, who knew no sin. That is powerful. We really, I praise you know, Jesus that what he has done for us. It's, it's such a gift that he has bestowed upon us that the creator would step down and take our form. And, and you know, this is interesting because it, what I see is what the Lord gave me earlier was that he said I can lay down my life and take it back up again, of course. But what he's saying to me is that Jesus took on our identity to give us his identity. Isn't that beautiful? He took our identity to give us his identity. So we could have his identity. So now I would like to uh, go into the next verse. It's Hebrews 12. And this is the restored. How many of you want to be completely restored? Hebrews 12. And we're going to look at verses 6 through 8. These are some things that we have to go through as God's children. Hebrews 12, 6 through 8. And it says there, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If you endure chastening or discipline, God deal with you as with sons, for what son is he whom the Father discipline not? But if you be without discipline, whereof all are partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I like that word illegitimate children. We're no longer sons and daughters of God if we don't allow him to discipline us. And that's a really powerful thought. So God disciplines those he loves as sons and daughters. And I really, especially like this Ezekiel 16, and this one really speaks to me. It took me 30 some odd years to figure out who I am in God. It took me many years to finally figure out that I am worth something, and I'm not just trash, and I'm not something that, you know, somebody can just discard or throw away. And I just shared this with uh, several people tonight on, on prayer line. But to see the beauty of who you really are, your true identity is a son or daughter of God. When you get that, it's going to change so much in your life. You're going to have so much peace, so much joy. Ezekiel 16, 6 through 8. This is so powerful. Oh, this is just beautiful. And when I passed by you and saw you polluted in your own blood, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. Yes, I said unto you, when you were in your blood, live. 
I've caused you to multiply as the bud of the field, and you have increased and become great. And you are come to excellent ornaments. Your breasts are fashioned, and your hair is grown, whereas you are naked and bare. I like this next verse. Verse 8. Now when I passed by you and looked upon you, behold, your time was the time of love. <laughs> We're kind of around that Valentine's time right now, right? A time of love. Well, this was a time of maturity. And it says in the next line, and I spread my skirt over you. The New King James Version said, and I spread my wings over you and covered your nakedness. Yes, I swear unto you and entered into a covenant with you, say the Lord, and you became mine. How many of you want to become God's sons and daughters. Mm, that's so beautiful. He cleans you up. He sees you're polluted when nobody else sees value in you. They walk right past you. And he says, oh, this one, I'm going to spare, I'm going to save this one. There's something of value in this one. I want to clean them up. Really powerful. And we talked a little bit about Zechariah 3. Um, we're going to go back to Zechariah 3 and kind of finish this picture um, of what Jesus is going to do for us. In Zechariah 3, verses 3 through 5. It says in Zechariah 3, 3 through 5 here. Let's see what it says. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments. How many of us are clothed in filthy garments? All of sin has fallen short of the glory of God, right? And stood before the angel. And he answered and spake unto those that stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. This is Jesus speaking now. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from you, and I will clothe you with change of raiment. How many want that change of raiment? That clothing. So Jesus takes away our filthy garments and he clothes us in his garments. In Revelations 3, I think, Joe, you touched on this one. Revelations 3 and verse 5, we're going to see something else. We talked about how Jacob's name and his, uh, there's a transfer and a transformation. Revelation 3 and verse 5. It says there, he that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. How many of you want to be in that book of life? Hmm. Amen. Be in that book of life. So the Lord has given me um, a statement. He said to me, he said, know who you are and know whose you are. It's important to know who you are and whose you are. So how can we make this applicable in our life? How can we overcome these sins of fear? I mean, we all struggle with them, right? Turn to Matthew 11. We're going to look at a few points here, and then we're almost ready to wrap up. Matthew 11. Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. And something that Jesus says to us, in 28, he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I ask you this question, do you want to give your burdens to Jesus? Do you want that life-changing encounter? 1 John 1.9, I think uh, Pastor... Dinsey talked about this one last night too. This is another app you can apply to your life to overcome fear. 1 John 1, 9. It says there, 
If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That doesn't mean a little or some, all unrighteousness. And another one, this is the one I think Janelle gave me last night. We're talking about this idea of social media. James 4, verse 7. We're always reminded of Ricky's song every time we think of this. James 4, verse 7. It just comes to our mind. We really love that one. It's a good one Ricky did. A couple other guys. James 4, 7. What else can we do to overcome fear? It says in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God. Do what? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So when we are tempted to be someone we are not on social media or in real life, as Janelle said, we must ask him for help. Ask him for help. And one more, this is important because a lot of people don't do this. They say, well, I don't need to be held accountable to anybody. I've got God. I'm good. God's, I'm held accountable only to God. Well, the Bible has something else to say. Let's turn to Proverbs 27, verse 17. Proverbs 27, verse 17. Another point that we need to consider when we're we're struggling with fear is we need to be surrounded by godly people who can um, help us. 27, 17 says this. And in there it says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance or appearance of his friend. So we need godly friends to hold us accountable, to get around us, to, to love on us, to embrace us. Um, you know, we dealt with a lot of things here in the church. We did addiction recovery. We also did sexual purity. And um, many people are like, well, that's nice that you're doing that. But, and we got a lot of kind of uh, flack from that. But we really need to be discussing these things and helping people to know that they can find a place where they can be comfortable to share these things and people they can trust so they can have the healing that Jesus wants to give them. He's longing to heal them. But sometimes we're holding our hands out saying, no, no, don't, don't, let's not go there. Let's not do that. Let's not talk about this. And if we don't, then the enemy's laughing. So I guess in closing, this came to me. Uh, this song is in the Seventh-day Adventist hymnal. I'm, I'm sure you know of it, covered with his life. And uh, this, this greatly explains everything we're talking about here. It's on page 412 in the hymnal if you're interested. And it, it reads this. Look upon Jesus, sinless is he. Father, impute his life unto me. My life of scarlet, my sin and woe, cover with his life, whiter than snow. Deep are the wounds transgression has made. Red are the stains, my soul is afraid. Oh, to be covered, Jesus, with thee, safe from the law that now judgeth me. Longing the joy of pardon to know, Jesus holds out a robe white as snow. Lord, I accept it, leaving mine own. Gladly I wear thy pure life alone. Reconciled by his death for my sin, justified by his life pure and clean, sanctified by obeying his word, glorified when returneth my Lord. That's powerful. I like the refrain, cover with his life, whiter than snow, fullness of his life, then shall I know my life of scarlet, my sin and woe, cover with his life, whiter than snow. Have you had a life-changing encounter with Jesus? Like Jacob, have you wrestled with the angel? Are you still unsure of your identity? Are you afraid what people think? Are you running away from your past? 
Won't you invite Jesus in? He can cover you with his life. He can deliver you from the torment. Jesus wants to uncover the son or daughter of God that Satan has been trying to destroy. You don't have to wear your badge of brokenness anymore. Jesus came to see, set you free. Won't you say as a song covered with his, his life says, Lord, I accept it, leaving mine own. Gladly I wear thy pure life alone. If you want this life, for those of you at home watching or you here, will you raise your hand with me? Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we have seen a life of fear. The enemy has tried to keep us bonded to this fear. But Lord, you are more than able to crush the enemy's attacks. You can lift us up, Lord, from this bondage that this world tries to cast on us. You know, Lord, the many hands that have been raised up tonight because of this fear. And Lord, you have given us a new identity as sons and daughters of God. We can claim that because Jesus, you died on the cross. You purchased us with your blood. We are yours. We ask, Lord, that for those who are struggling right now, maybe with fear, maybe with darkness, uncertainty, maybe with uh, taking their life, maybe with holding on to things and not letting go, maybe it's worrying about what people think, Maybe it's the idea of being caught. Maybe it's one of these fears, Lord. I just pray that you will deliver them, help them to reach out, to maybe find somebody, Lord, around them that they can talk to and they can get some support and some strength and some encouragement. The enemy wants to destroy life, but Jesus, your word in John 10.10 says that you've come to give us a more abundant life. And that abundant life is right around the corner, Lord. It's right there. So help us, Lord, to continue this battle of faith, to keep getting up, keep moving, and Lord, we will hear one day those words from your own mouth. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. We thank you, Lord. We ask this now in the precious, holy, and everlasting name of Jesus. Amen.